Well, if the Lord will graciously help us, I hope we'll get a blessing. Uh, a blessing from one verse in our reading, and it is the last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen, says the Apostle Paul. And when you do look back over um, what Paul has said uh, up till now to the Corinthians and realize that he's uh, at times been quite sharp with them, uh, that they've got to change, um, we still see that blessing uh, that is given at the end of this particular passage. And if we were to look elsewhere in Romans 16, for instance, uh, where the Apostle Paul is uh, speaking to believers that as yet he hasn't been and seen, but he knows they are there and he knows they need teaching, um, he speaks there simply of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. But he doesn't give us the full blessing. He doesn't give us the full blessing, which is what we understand uh, and call the grace today. And we often use it. But he does the same in uh, 1 Thessalonians and at the end of his letter there. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And he omits, perhaps just for reason of brevity, but he omits the rest. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He omits that. I'm not suggesting a reason for it other than the fact that um, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that is repeated on three occasions highlights that particular aspect. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not that we'll think about that alone, but we'll think about the Father, we'll think about the Spirit as well. And we often say it, don't we, at the end of our meetings or the end of a prayer uh, within our meetings. Uh, we often say it, but have we kind of seen it as effectively it is, a kind of condensation uh, of the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if there is a person who is an inquirer here tonight, what a fitting verse to look at and suggest that if I could only encapsulate the whole of that in my mind and appreciate it, I would understand what it's all about. I would understand what it was all about. It's about three persons. And uh, it is understood that uh, the Apostle Paul, under the um, label of God, is referring to God the Father as he speaks also of God the Son in the opening portion and then God the Holy Spirit, which follows that reference to God the Father. Nobody doubts that that is how we are to understand it. So the Apostle Paul, and he could have in his other letters have mentioned all three persons of the Godhead he only mentions the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we make no more comment than to say if he was going to omit any, he has decided not to omit that. 
And there's something really very special, very lovely about that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the other two are before us as well this evening. The love of God the Father and also the communion or sometimes called and usually called the fellowship of the Holy Spirit because that word communion means just that fellowship, a kind of intimacy uh, with the Spirit of God. And all three persons within the Godhead make up what we understand as the Trinity. And if you're groping, as it were, for some understanding of these things, and if you want to kind of uh, have, uh, as it were, a, a kind of a, a key to understand what does it mean, then you have to say, well, first of all, it's God. God himself. One God. The Bible is very insistent of that. The Old Testament is very insistent upon that. There is one God. And when the time of the New Testament period finally arrived, and the Son of God appeared, born of Mary, yes, but not of Joseph, there had to be some explanation of that. After all, since the world began, Always a man and a woman made up that which was created, if that's the right word, to make a human being. Who is this person? And uh, one realized that our Lord Jesus Christ is called the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this person? Who is this person who offended when he actually forgave a person their sins? The person I'm thinking of at the moment happens to be the adulterous woman. And there were those who brought the adulterous woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery and said, Moses said that she should be stoned. What do you say? It's rather lovely, because if you've got an imagination which can imagine the scene, uh, you can see uh, the situation, because our Lord was, if you like, you might say uh, that he was in a fix. Not that our Lord was ever really in a fix. He always knew always what he was going to do and always what he was going to say. But he didn't answer them when they asked him, what about this woman? Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? And there's a very real reason to begin with why it was that they tried to put him, as it were, into a situation which would get him into trouble in one way or another. Because if he was to say that Moses was wrong, then he would be in trouble with the Jewish authorities in a big way. And our Lord bent down and he started to write in the sand as if he didn't hear them. Can you imagine it? That's what it says in the biblical account in John's Gospel, in John chapter 8. He wrote as if he didn't even hear them. And then he stood up and he said, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. He didn't say Moses was wrong. He said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. 
Doesn't that melt your heart a little? Aren't you a sinner inside? Don't you find that in this adulterous world in which we're living today that there are so many temptations that are available to our children and to ourselves as well? And we say, oh, dear Saviour, thank you. There is a way by which the past can be washed, cleansed. And the story goes on, and it is a true account, of course, that they went away, beginning with the eldest, the wisest, and we're told about that, as if to say the youngsters, they didn't know the truth. They weren't, as you were, profound enough in their appreciation of life as yet, but the old men, they knew. They wanted to get Jesus into trouble, but that answer, as it were, froze them until eventually they started to leave, beginning with the eldest. That's what it says. Oh, what a saviour. Oh, what a person. And he spoke to her, and they're lovely words. You know, she's only human, and so are you. And you see all the glaring adverts, and you see all the other things that are on television which your children perhaps aren't even watching, and they shouldn't be watching. And Jesus said to this woman, has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wasn't that wonderful? From the Son of the living God, from the altogether pure one, the one who scripture records as never having done anything wrong ever but having done everything right, even to the point where he was willing to give his life a ransom for many and trod that path to that end. Don't you start to admire him, love him, wonder why you don't love him more? Isn't that our problem? Perhaps we do have a lot of knowledge, but we wonder why we don't love him more on that account. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Neither do I condemn you. On another occasion, he forgave a person their sins, and they said, who is he? Who is he that says that he can forgive sins and forgives a person their sins? What right is he to forgive anybody their sins? That's God's right alone. And this raised the problem in the early church. Of course, we're dealing with somebody who's altogether special. There was a great storm on the Lake of the Galilee, and uh, it was one of those windstorms that starts all of a sudden, and our Saviour was asleep on, uh, at the rear of the boat. And they said, doesn't he care that we perish? We're getting to the point the boat is full. And they woke him up and they said, don't you care that we perish? Of course, our Lord always cared, but he was asleep in the storm. And he got up and he rebuked the storm, the wind, the sea, and it became immediately still and calm. And they said, who is this? 
that even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this? Now, I don't know about you, dear friends, but you've got to answer that question as well. You really have. And it's got to have an implication in your life as well. All I can do, I suppose, is to say the way the Lord saved me as a 15-year-old boy. I thought to myself one day, you know, I'm being told about all these things, and I keep on saying I don't believe them. But, you know, I find it difficult not to believe them. It's so stupendous. It's so amazing that I, I'm, I'm having to review this, my whole matter. I mean, my life, my soul, all depends on this. If I turn my back on him... This person will turn his back upon me. And that, I would say, I've held to to this day and is true to this day concerning everyone who is here present. Well, in the early church, of course, they needed to resolve this question, who is he? And they needed to look at the whole question of, can you have three gods? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Can you have three gods? But the Bible and uh, the Jewish faith and God's dealings with us has always insisted upon there is one God. No, no, you can't have three gods. No. Then how do we understand it? Well, I can tell you, for many decades... They wrestled with this, taking the Holy Scriptures, looking at it and saying, you know, there's only one conclusion. He's not merely a man. He is able to forgive sins. And he rose from the dead and will one day be coming to judge the living and the dead. And there is all authority given to him according to what the Bible says for that particular day. But although that is true of him, we can't escape the fact that here is a person who is wonderfully merciful and wonderfully kind. And that's where we begin, really, because we're beginning with that word grace. Grace. What does it mean and to whom is it given? Well, of course, in the oneness of the Godhead, as we understand it, it will be true of the Father and the Spirit as well. But... Is referred to Christ, which focuses our attention upon him and upon his life on earth and the reason for his coming on earth and the reason why he obtained that name, Jesus, which means saviour. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that as you delve into the matter and you look into it more closely, uh, that you discover everything seems to kind of point that way. Here we have a person who is indeed more than a man, and here we have a person, too, who is full of grace. Grace. What does it mean, grace? It means forgiving, forgiving. Grace. It means without any contribution from ourselves, because we can contribute nothing, but it is undeserved, it is mercy, it is kindness. Grace involves forgiveness, an erasing of the sin that has marred our life. Do you know there is a pain in sin? We know that sin is 
declared to be in the Bible something which appalls God. But it's most fitting in a way that those who choose the path which is wrong, and sometimes we don't like the word sin, we think, oh dear me, that sounds like something from the past, it sounds like something grotesque, it, it, it does sound something like the past, it does sound like something grotesque, and it is grotesque. In the eyes of God, it can't be ignored. And yet, one of the persons within the Trinity, notice how I use the word person, one of the persons of the triune God, the God who is one God, one of those persons secured the forgiveness of those who he had ordained should believe and repent, ordained their salvation even before the world began. It was undeserved. It was grace. Grace. Now when we read from John, John's Gospel, we had one of the most wonderful passages, I think, uh, of Scripture. First of all, it describes um, the fact that in the beginning uh, there was this person who is named the Word. And uh, we can make no mistake about it. It's a reference to Jesus Christ because it goes on a little later uh, in verse 15, 16, 17. Uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14, became flesh and blood. We're talking about the physical nature, and it was achieved within the Virgin Mary. And this is the wonder of that opening phrase, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a little bit more perhaps No one has seen God at any time, was in our reading. Verse 18 of chapter 1 of John. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This person who was the Word, this person who was the Word who became flesh, this person who was in the beginning with God and was also, was God, as Paul makes, John makes perfectly clear in Verse 1 of chapter 1. And it was through him that everything was made in this world. God said, God spoke. The person through whom the world was made was the Word. And everything, including you and me, was made by this person who went to that cross many years ago, but is still alive because he was raised from the dead. And I was alive to die no more. Now an offering has been made for sin and sinners like you and I. And now people understand more clearly than at first that of course this very person is God Almighty. That first, or if you like, second person of the Trinity, if we begin with the Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit but the first one mentioned in the grace. 
I like the phrase, full of grace. I like that. I like the phrase full because the, the, the word full, because full means you can't get any more full than what you are already. Um, there is a psalm we all love, it's Psalm 23, you know, and it reflects in this way that my cup is full and running over, at least um, the kind of hymn based on it or things of that like express that fact. My cup is full. I come as full and running over. Our Saviour doesn't kind of have a certain degree and measure of grace and forgiveness, but he is described as full of grace, which means, again, you cannot obtain more of it than what is ready to bestow. You know, we've got to think about that. I want you to look at your life. I want you to look at the things that you're ashamed of now. It could be anything. You could have been brought up well. You could say, well, I'm not an adulterous woman. Uh, I'm not a prostitute either. Um, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not the other. And perhaps you pride yourself on the fact that you haven't fallen that low. But you're a sinner still, I tell you. But you have one who stands ready to forgive, who is full of grace. He couldn't have more than what he currently has. He is full of grace. And in order to prove that fact, as we said, I think this morning, the Apostle Paul of all people, the great persecutor of the Christian church, was ordained as one who should receive forgiveness of his sins, though he murdered people. I find it a most amazing thing. I sometimes think to myself about a person, as I may read about them, killing another person, another member of the family. And I sometimes think, you, you, you know, you, you, you can't surely, as it were, a person, you can't surely kill somebody else and send them to a hell because they never ever paid any interest in spiritual things and then find forgiveness yourself. Can you even go to heaven? The answer is yes, you can. But it's not fair. If I were you, I'd leave fairness to God. It is fair, for God has created a way by which it can be fair. By giving us his only son. This is the teaching of the word of God. It is stupendous. It is wonderful. It is something for which you yourself will never boast. God forbid, said the Apostle Paul, yes, that very man who was forgiven, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you get the thread of it in your mind, once the Holy Spirit begins to enlighten your mind a little bit and you begin to follow the thread of it in the New Testament and you get it confirmed at, uh, at every level, reading this book and that book and the other book and realizing, oh, isn't it wonderful? And it is. Listen. I'm changing, as it were, the flow of things when I say this. We're talking here about a blessing. 
We're talking here about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's the kind of thing a person says at the close of a meeting. And we say, well, it must be done with a reason. Oh, yes, it's done with a reason. But surely it doesn't confer this upon a person, does it? No, not necessarily, no, no, no. But it, it is a blessing obtainable by the persons to whom it is addressed. You're not a priest conferring this on anybody. It can't be done. It's not something we can do. It entails the other person. If we comply with the gospel message that we should repent and believe, then the things spoken of here in the grace, the grace, the, un, the unmerited mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God which knows no bounds, and the intimacy and fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be yours. I have no power to confer it upon anybody. No priest has any power to confer it on anybody. But it's available. It's available for those who repent and believe. Now, let me kind of demonstrate it in this way. In the book of Numbers, in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. They didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve that. Read the history of Israel and you'll see that they scarcely ever deserved anything because they were wayward. God had reached down to touch them as a nation and separate them from all other nations and convey to them details of what he was going to do in the provision of his own son. But nevertheless, the priests then were to speak of the blessing of Almighty God. This is what God wants to bestow upon his people. And it becomes ours when we repent and believe and turn our backs on sin. Now, if it were otherwise, dear friends, we would be in a right state. It's called, actually, in theological terms, antinomianism. If we could simply do what we like any time, every day, and God would still pour out blessings upon us, then, dear friends, the authority of God would be diminished enormously and we could carry on doing exactly as we wished. And we would, as it were, be hammering in the nails into the hands of Christ and into his feet. No, that's not how it is. There is nothing which is automatic about this uh, at all. But it is presenting to us what is ours in the gospel, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very purpose why our Saviour came into the world. These blessings are ours. So, supplies of grace, forgiveness, in a limitless way, 
And I would really say to any believer here tonight, you may feel, as indeed I think all believers do, um, that when they sin, they have done things which are wrong, and it may be in thought, it may be in word, it may be in deed, but we can never retract it. And this is the problem. And we feel as though we're sinners to the day we die. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Though we are not to live in a shameful way, but be sure of this, we will be sinners to the day we die. But for all of that, he is full of grace. You remember this morning how we learned about the grace extended towards Peter. Peter was restored, you know. Even though he denied the Lord, he was restored. And there's no person here who will not be restored again, who comes to the Lord in a humble way and brings forth, as it were, fruits that are worthy of repentance. But it's not your fruits that are worthy of repentance that buy your forgiveness. No, no, no. It's Christ's blood upon that cross that buys, purchases your forgiveness. Every time, all the way, till your journey's end. And you may say, well, he can't go on forgiving me. That's my problem. And we say, well, he can. And he has to. Or you will not be going to the, div- to the haven of rest, peace. He has to forgive. And he's gracious enough to do so, for our Savior's grace is full and running over, full of grace and truth. We could talk a lot about truth regarding our present day and age. But there's more to the grace than uh, what we call the grace, than the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of Christ. Uh, There is, as it were, a blessing that is available to every Christian uh, to experience the love of God. We can, but I think wrongly, obtain some sense that we can understand the love of Christ because we see his love expressed in the healing of individuals. We see it in the forgiving of people's sins. Uh, We see it, too, in other ways. It's just that we have the life of him before us and we see how he had compassion upon the woman who had lost a child and raise that child from the dead. And we see it, yes, we see it. We see it all the time, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And none of us are deserving of anything. We see it, but the love of God. He is so holy. So holy. And we cannot somehow absorb the fact that he can love me. And that's one of our problems. And uh, the devil, and there is a devil, would often have us contemplating the fact uh, that uh, your God is too merciful. (laughs) That person, Jesus Christ, is too full of grace. It can't be possible. It can't be credible that it is the case. He was a liar from the beginning. And he'll get at you to try and make you think that you can't be forgiven. And all the more so as you grow older and older and you say the accumulation of my sin must be so intolerable to God. I mean, so often I said the bad words, so often I have thought the bad thoughts, so often I have been this or that or the other and I'm ashamed of it. And the, the kind of total of sin regarding my life is 
in my opinion, unforgivable. Don't say that. It's not true. The Apostle Paul was saved. And many, many, many others who have repented and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ are among those who have been forgiven and pardoned their sins. And that is your joy. And faith lays hold upon it. And it doesn't doubt. And the love of God? Yes. God does display his love. He does. And he has displayed it. In that famous verse he's displayed it. John 3 and verse 16. If you don't know it, please learn it by heart. God so loved the world that he gave to us his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him should have everlasting life. What a wonderful thing. I can't see how he can love me. And the world is a repenting world. We sometimes get all mixed up and have a hope, as it were, that everybody will be saved one day. No, it's, it's again not to be presumed upon. It's the repenting world, the believing world, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, I'm so glad that we can conclude our services with a reference to the grace overspilling mercy of Jesus Christ and the love of his Father for us. Very, very merciful. I, I quite like reading about uh, Abraham taking Isaac uh, to be sacrificed. I'd like to read it because it's the nearest thing I can find to a human being being uh, doing, as it were, the right thing because it must have been the right thing um, because God himself commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac, your only son Isaac, and make him a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. And I say, well, that's awesome, isn't it? I'm not going to question God, of course, in that command. And I trust that God will have a way out uh, which will spare the young child's life. And God did have a way out that would spare the young child's life. And just as he was coming down with the knife in determination to end the life of his own child, God withstood his hand. Now I know that you fear me, honour me, respect me, because that's the meaning of the word fear in the Bible. It doesn't mean tremble. It doesn't mean dread. It more often than not means respect. Now I know. Now I know. And in a way we might say concerning anyone here present that we must demonstrate that we really do the love, do love the one who has shown love towards us by responding to this gospel that we're speaking about in this evening hour. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father. Wouldn't it be lovely, you might say, if I could know God the Father like that? Like that? As my Father? Oh, yes. Yes. Your Father. To know him as your Father. The fatherhood of God. And one of the most remarkable things about that is that when we become believers we become children of God it's there but it's in John uh, which we read um, and 
As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. That's more enormous than you think. Everybody's claiming that kind of thing within church circles. People who don't really accept that Christ was a substitutionary sacrifice are still saying that God is their father, but they're denying what the scripture so plainly says. The father. Father. Do you ever call God father like that? Father. The book of Romans is lovely, very doctrinal, but still lovely and intelligible. Well, what has God done? He's made us his sons. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, it's a capital S for spirit, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 8, verse 15. Abba, Father. Have you had that cry within your heart that cries out, Abba, Father? Abba, Father. Listen, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he trans rather removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, but there's no limit to the east or the west. No, and that's why it was chosen, uh, that very expression, there's no limit. Where is the west ending? There isn't an ending to the west. Where is uh, it ending the east? Uh, where is that ending? Yeah, there is no ending to the east. Uh, in other words, sins are taken away to the extent that, well, they'll never be seen again. Never be seen again. And in that very passage where it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, he then goes on to say what those who are blessed in that way have effectively become, namely the children of God. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. I've been a Christian for many years now and I thank that, thank God that the spirit of his son and the spirit of the father cries out Abba in me. I wish it was more evident. I wish that my relationship with him was even greater than one senses it to be. But every true Christian knows what it is to be a son of God and every true Christian knows what it is to have a gracious and forgiving Father. So, our Father, the Father of all who believe, all these wonderful things. We had a man once who used to help us in the East End of London in the Lord's work. And he always used to have a lovely phrase from Scripture, which I'm going to read to you now. And it was this. In the Psalms, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. And this was the phrase he used to use. Your gentleness has made 
me great. Your gentleness has made me great. It chimes in well with what I have read in the Psalm 103 as a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. He remembers our frame. So you've got a walking stick now. So you've got a frame that supports you when you move around or go to the shops. So you're not the strong person you once were. So you know there's no reversing of it. We, you know you can never move back and be more healthy. You can never get strong again as you once were. No, but he remembers your frame. You're his child now. He remembers you're just dust. Yes, you were. You were made from the dust of the ground. Yes, and to the dust you will return. But have no fear. He has prepared a place in heaven for you. Have no fear. Isn't it wonderful? Aren't you glad? Can't you sleep better at night on account of this relationship with the living God concerning whom we have this wonderful words that are given to us by Paul in what we call the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. His gentleness has made me great. I can't, I can't help repeating, as it were, things which have been a blessing to me over the years. Strange, isn't it? But um, <laughs> I once watched a, a, form, Paul, uh, a film, Paul Robeson was the kind of starring feature in it. It was black and white, I think. And I think the only thing I ever remember about it was really that he was on some kind of Amazon-like uh, river, and there he was on a canoe, and there everybody was singing as he himself was well, on the boat, standing as far as I remember, but holding in his great masculine arms a little baby. And he was singing in a voice that no one can ever match, the voice of Paul Robeson, deep. And even the depth of the voice seemed to echo the thought in one's mind, here's a strong man embracing a weak child. It's wonderful, I thought. There's a lot of fatherly love in me towards my own children over the years. They're all grown up now, but they have children themselves. And I know what it is to pity my children and know that they can only take so much. Well, all this is true. And my God is like that. He knows that we can only take so much. He pities us just like if there's any, as it were, humanity in a person at all, a father pities his children. I don't deny the fact that there are people who don't seem to have any humanity in them at all and murder their own children. But it is not usually the case. And it is uh, assumed that it is not usually the case, as if every father pities his child. And there are references to mothers as well within the Bible and their love for the ones that they have born. Oh, but he knows our frame and his gentleness has made me great. Lastly, then, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, dear friends. Uh, we've already mentioned the part he plays, but I think... We haven't really understood 
um, adequately the part he plays. You see, God the Father sends the Son. That is a biblical concept. It's there. We are forever grateful to the Father who no man has seen nor can see. And even Moses said, please show me, show me yourself. He said, no, nobody can see me and live. But then the Father, the Son, we have spoken about him. But the Spirit, now he comes into this and should be spoken of in the most reverent of terms. Our Lord in John's Gospel speaks of him being sent from the Father and the Son. Great controversy in certain kind of ancient church circles about that. But it's biblical that he was sent from the Father and the Son at the coronation of Jesus Christ, which is the term we might well use for the glorification of our Saviour at the right hand of his Father in heaven and on the throne of God. And then the Holy Spirit is sent. We can easily prove that, of course, by the scriptures, but I won't attempt it at this point. But... uh, At that point in time, this third person within the Trinity is sent to empower, to help, to assist, to reassure of their salvation in Christ. And he plays a fundamental role within the church, this church, and every true church of Jesus Christ. He is there to cry, Abba, Father. He is there to give the personal witness into our souls. He is there to teach us. He is the great teacher. He is there to empower us, even as we go out to minister in the name of Christ. Uh, The Spirit. Strictly speaking, so to speak, the Father is viewed as being in heaven. Now, that's not the case because God dwells everywhere, but we can nevertheless sometimes view it in that way. God the Father, who is in heaven, sends his Son to the earth where he dies. Then he rises again, and then he ascends into heaven. And then after that, the Father and the Son, at the exaltation and coronation of Christ, they send forth the Holy Spirit. This is the teaching of the Scriptures. Another blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, number one. The Father and his tender love for us in giving us his Son. Number two, the Holy Spirit to empower us and enable us to fulfill those New Testament demands. You see, he wants us to be godly. He does all of this in order that we might be better people, but he does it in order essentially that we might have a place in heaven with the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Well, as I say, no priest can confer this on anybody. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have to respond to that. We have to respond by true faith and true repentance. It's got to be real. And then the blessing enwrapped in this grace becomes our very own. I wonder whether there's someone here tonight who's
going to have to sort this thing out in their own minds when they go home. And they're going to have to wrestle, as it were, with that invisible God. And they've got to say, are you the God who has made me and the God who has indeed made the whole of the earth? Why are the troubles? Why are the wars? But if you are, I want to know you. I want what the grace speaks of, the grace of Jesus and the love of God. I want that as well. And I want that life with the Spirit of God, whereby when I pray, I'm feeling I'm in contact and communion with him. And you get to grips with that in the quietness of your home and you will not rest until you find that answer which so many have found, forgiveness of their sins, new life in Christ and the beginning of hope in a hopeless world.